10 episodes. I'm sorry. I, I felt like I had to introduce it like that because I was just so excited because this is the 10th episode and that's like insane. Like that's no, like, it's not like insane. Like I'm not trying to be like, Oh, look at me. I'm so amazing. But it's like 10 episodes is like a lot like that. Like we've got a solid, like 10 hours of footage, like 10 hours is like an average TV show. I just think that's a pretty big thing and I'm really excited I'm sharing that with you guys. Okay, today is literally such an exciting episode. I'm interviewing Lydia Thorpe and she's literally like queen god. So she was the first Aboriginal woman to be in the Victorian Parliament and now she's the first Aboriginal woman to be a national senator, which as you guys know, that's what I want to do. I'm really excited uh, yeah, the interview's in 20 minutes. I'm kind of, I'm not like shaking. I'm just like excited. Um, she's got some really interesting ideas for Australia and in terms of like an Indigenous point of view. And this is our first um, guest who is an Aboriginal person. And I've wanted to be get, I've been wanting to get someone for a long time to talk about like Black Lives Matter and like high incarceration rates of Aboriginal people in Australia. And Lydia agreed to do this, which is apparently very, I was unaware, but apparently she's, well, she's amazing. Of course she is. She's in very high demand right now. Like people are asking to write like biographies, TV shows. I don't know. Everyone, she's in very high demand. So it's a very big deal that she agreed to this. And thank you so much for agreeing to this, Lydia. If you're listening, if you're listening, like, honestly, I don't know if any of my guests actually listen to the podcast. I know like, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is so exciting. I literally, I've been wanting to do this, but well, yeah, it was like, she's just like a really big deal. So this is like a really big move for me. So thank you so much for agreeing to do the podcast, Lydia. And I'm so excited. I've got some really interesting stuff on the agenda and she, cause she's just, she's done like everything you can imagine. So yeah, thanks so much. Hope you guys enjoy. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, Let's hope the episode goes well. Any questions or concerns, or if you have any recommendations to interview anyone, email me at beyondtheechochamber at gmail.com. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. This is the 10th episode, and I'm happy because this is my biggest guest so far. She's a very big deal. She's, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to go straight into it. Just going to go straight into it. Just do it. Just do it. Ah, uh, thank you, everyone. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Here we go. Boarding. Also, I believe. Well, welcome, Miss Thorpe, Lydia, Miss Thorpe, Ms. Thorpe, Lydia. 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 Great, great. Um, you know my aunt and uncle, Ruth Barson and Jess Abrahams. Oh, wow. Okay. Connections. Yes, I do. Um, and what's that little one's name? Mira. Oh, Queen. Mira. I was with her the okay. other day. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I haven't seen her in ages, um, but I sent, sent them a Aboriginal flag t-shirt through Gavin. So. I think I saw her wearing that. <laughs> Let's just jump straight into it. Uh, so what was your journey from dropping out of school at 14 to being a national senator? Uh, well, it's a, it's a long and windy road um, from the moment that I decided that school 
wasn't the place for me uh, because of the, the races that I endured and the teachers at all at the time um, to then, you know, I just didn't like school because I didn't feel like uh, it was a safe place. So I needed to make a decision about going to school and not learning anything and not being part of anything or um, just starting work um, at, a, at such an early age, which is what I did. So my first job was at the Koori Information Centre in uh, Gertrude Street, Fitzroy, and it was uh, obviously in the you know mid-'80s, and it was a place where a lot of non-Aboriginal people would come to find out more about Aboriginal culture and, and our struggle. Uh, it was just a you know a hub of information where people could come and be a part of as well. Uh, and it was run on pay the rent uh, philosophy, which um, you may have seen at the race, recent 26th of January rally. Uh, from there, I then became an office manager just down the road at the Fitzroy Stars Aboriginal Community Youth Club and Gymnasium where we would have world champion boxers come and train at our gym because it was well known, it was you know, quite famous. Uh, but it was also a place where you know, kids could just come and hang out and um, you know, there was a billiard table, uh, there were all sorts of activities for, for kids instead of hanging around on the streets, uh, they would come into to the gym. And kids that were fighting on the streets they would be encouraged to fight in the in the boxing ring um, and learn the you know respectful way of fighting, uh, which was really good and it and it healed a lot of uh, wounds in the community at the time. From there, I went to Yapra Children's Services, which was a um, a, a childcare service, an Aboriginal childcare service, uh, and I was about seventeen by that time, uh, so. Yeah, I loved, loved my job there. That was just off um, Brunswick Street in Fitzroy in a little street called Argyle Street. And at that time is when I fell pregnant with my son, who was 29 this week. And so I, you know, I worked right up until the day that I was due to give birth and had some time off, obviously, to, to um, parent my newborn. And it, I think he, was, he wasn't even one and he started going to Yapra where I used to work and I started a job at the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service where I stayed for about seven years uh, and worked on a number of different projects. So I always worked in areas that were about uh, the betterment of Aboriginal people in this country and, um, yeah, working towards justice for, for our people. Uh, so then, you know, I, I had a little time, I had three years um, as a manager at, at Centrelink. I ran the Indigenous Services Program at Centrelink. Uh, I worked in health for, for about three years as well uh, in East Gippsland. And I worked for local government for uh, around six years. So three in East Gippsland Shire as a manager um, with local community of Lake Entrance and, and looking at um, 
you know, the disadvantage that exists in, in Lake Centrance, also the racism that uh, people experience in Lake Centrance and the local economy, uh, given the effects of climate change and the sea level rises that will continue to happen in the town of Lake Centrance. So I've had a varied, um, I suppose, professional career. Uh, I've always been on, you know, on the front line. I've always fought at rallies and organised rallies and, um, you know, set up protests to, to stop destruction of country. Uh, and that's because that's just my responsibility as an Aboriginal woman to protect country um, <clears throat> and do everything we can to, to do that, uh, including putting our body on the line. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a long, long answer to a short question, but, yeah, it's, it's huge. There's lots of parts that I've missed out, obviously, but um, that's a bit of a snapshot. Hmm. Uh, I know this is a very general explanation, but what would you like to achieve in the National Senate? Um, I would like to achieve equality. Uh, and I think that equality um, has so many different ways um, that we need to achieve that, and that is that we need to... Um, ensure that you know everybody has the same opportunities in this country uh, and I think that for too long we've um, disregarded or denied uh, First Nations people in this country particularly but also you know poor people in this country you know our homeless people our people that are struggling and on the poverty line that just shouldn't exist in a, in a country like ours so I'd like to achieve um, or you know by exposing the inequality that does continue in this country. Uh, I'd like to see a treaty happen in this country as well, which addresses a number of um, injustices that continue against uh, this country's first people and, and our land and our water. Uh, and I'd like to achieve, well, I'd like to, you know, bring um, to the federal parliament the the need to raise the age of criminal responsibility. I think that that's a, uh, a huge issue and something that we just can do really easy by, you know, raising the age from 12 to 14. Uh, that would see a lot of children released from prisons and back with their families or their communities and being able to participate in, in our, you know, in our local communities um, as, as children. Yeah. Just to be confused, regarding the Raise the Age campaign on Monday, did they reject it or just say that they didn't want to vote? They kicked the can down the road, so they didn't outright reject it. They just bought more time. Um, and that's where I think we have an opportunity to apply more pressure and give them reason, more reasons, I suppose, why it's so important and how easy it can be. So giving local solutions to the government to say, you know, we, we can actually deal with this. We have all of these programs. If you funded us uh, enough to continue these programs, these kids wouldn't have to uh, even enter the justice system. Mm. And they're preventative programs. 
Uh, what was your experience like as the first Aboriginal woman in Victorian Parliament? woman in the Victorian Parliament um, but you know it's a big machine that um, I was up against given that colonial um, construct and, and that uh, oppressive nature that um, the colonisers have taken um, on first people in this country it was you know quite confronting as well having to work in, in that space um, that's done a lot of harm to our people. Um, but, you know, on the, on the positive side, it was, um, you know, I was able to do some good work in there in such a short period of time. Uh, not everyone is bad in there uh, from the different parties. There are good people amongst all parties. And, um, yeah, I wanted people to also see, particularly young people, that, you know, when you when you do feel beaten down or you you know your family struggle um it's not it's not impossible to continue your dream or continue um what you want to do in life uh amongst all the obstacles that are put in front of us uh we can overcome them and we just can't give up fighting for the things that we believe in mm. uh and could you talk about how you got the Victorian Parliament to acknowledge country. <laughs> um, I didn't actually think about it. It wasn't a plan. I just felt quite disrespected that uh, each time they did the, the prayer, which was a regular start, the beginning of a, a new parliamentary week, um, they stand and be very silent and respectful to the Lord's Prayer. And as soon as the Lord's Prayer is finished, they do an acknowledgement to country. And at that exact moment, all, all sit down and they grab their papers and they're ruffling through their papers. And I just kept standing. I thought, I'm not. Um, so I just, I just kept standing and my Greens colleagues stood with me. Uh, and then a couple of people on the backbench of Labor stood as well. And then a fortnight later, the next parliamentary sitting week, a few, quite a lot of Labor people started to stand with me. And then following uh, fortnight after that, everyone stood. <laughs> and I was quite overwhelmed. I thought, wow, my little protest in Parliament worked from one person. Mm. Do you think there is kind of a particular kind of, not switch, but resolution to the, um, what am, what's the word I'm looking for? The poverty cycle in Victoria and Melbourne? The poverty cycle? Oh, we just learned about it in school today. In terms of kind of essentially the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Or getting a job or participating in society 
So I think um, the first thing that we need to ensure that people have is a, is a safe home to, to live in. Um, I think that, you know, people who um, are very wealthy in this country should be paying more taxes. Uh, we have, you know, some of the wealthiest people in this country who pay no tax, um, while we have people that are homeless. So I think we have to um, we, we have to make people who are benefiting from all of this stolen wealth, and that's what it is. It's all stolen from the first people. Um, we need to make them pay for what they have been extracting out of our country, and we need to divide the um, resources in a way that everyone benefits and not just, you know, this this rich getting richer and, and poor getting poorer because it's getting worse and unless government have, have uh, the courage to actually take on some of their donors because that's what it is, these, these big corporations and mining companies donate money to the two major political parties who ultimately, you know, make the decisions on on who pays tax and who doesn't. So we've got to stop that kind of behaviour to create any meaningful change on the ground. Mm. Uh, so you've been very supportive and kind of passionate about a treaty between the government and Aboriginal people, if I'm correct. Uh, what do you believe this yes. treaty will achieve? on treaty, I think that it needs to be internationally scrutinised. So it can't just be the government um, deciding the framework or the government kind of uh, dictating to the people on what this treaty might look like. It has to be internationally scrutinised to ensure that there's this independent umpire um, that oversees the process so that, you know, there is... um, an equal footing when it comes to negotiation. So I think first and foremost, for me, it has to be about peace. Aboriginal people want peace in this country. And to have peace, we have to stop um, this, this systemic racism that that continues against our people. Uh, you know, deaths in custody, uh, incarceration at the, at the rate that it is now. Um, the continued removal of our children. I think treaty should um, have priority areas that stop this continued sophisticated genocide that that continues, and that's that's a fundamental problem right now that you know we struggle with and struggle to survive as a result. Hmm. Uh, how have you, what have been the reactions in Parliament when you've brought up the systemic racist issues that are prevalent? Uh, no one wants to um, have, you know, no one wants to deal with it. it it's always, um, you know, politicians have a good way of pivoting out of answering questions and that's what happens every time and um, I think they don't understand how the how racist the system is because they were part of building it. 
Um, and unless they have a, you know, get a better understanding and educate themselves on, on how racist a lot of these policies are and the systems that are being set up, um, then we'll never be able to address it. And that's a journey that I think all politicians need to go on um, because, you know, people can't live in denial like this country has for so long. Um, I think it's time that we grow up as a nation and mature and deal with the racism. And by dealing with the, with the racism at the systems level and a, and a nation level, uh, I think a lot of those injustices will go away. Hmm. Uh, it's been clearly proven throughout the past 10, 20, 30 years that um, in terms of solving kind of the climate crisis, we are able to deal with it a lot better when we listen to Aboriginal voices. How do you think we can get the rest of Australia to start listening to Aboriginal voices and understand that they know what's right? I think treaty is a, is a good uh, vehicle to be able to open these conversations in local communities. I think there's a lot to learn from Aboriginal people about how we've cared for this country, you know, since the beginning of time is, is what we say, that that's how long we've been here, but some say 60,000, some say 140,000. Um, but whatever whatever it is, it's been a long time. It's you know, obviously more than 240 years that the colonisers have been here. So we know what... Um, what our land and water needs to heal and to regenerate, um, and there are there are you know there are ancient ways to do that that we want to share and we want everyone to be a part of. Uh, and I think those conversations need to happen locally, and a treaty can you know, be the reason that we come together and talk about these things and learn from one another and also um, discuss what the priority areas for those local communities are. Hmm. How has your relationship with this capitalist government system kind of changed throughout your life? We've always been at the bottom rung of society uh, as far as the governments, successive governments, uh, have treated us. They've never really made any decisions that benefited Aboriginal people. Um, they make, you know, some of their decisions like native title, they, they dress that up to make it sound good for Aboriginal people when in fact it's not, Just it's just destroyed um, a lot of land and, and destroyed a lot of our people in terms of how we connect with one another. Uh, so it's, you know, it's just that colonial oppressive system and, and those governments have always, all perpetrated that. They've continued to perpetrate it. Uh, and that's what I'll be calling out when I get in there, um, that, you know, we need to stop this, this oppression and this as I say, sophisticated genocide against this country's first people with the oldest living uh, culture in the world. I think that's something to be proud of. And, 
to be proud of something, you, you know, you have to nurture it and you have to protect it and you have to make sure that it's always there. Uh, and governments don't do that at the moment. Hmm. I'm just interested because other politicians I've spoken to have only been from the House of Reps and I'm very interested in being in the Senate, but they were like, oh, the Senate's crazy. Like what a weird environment. Is it really that like crazy? I haven't been there yet, Theo. Oh. Uh, I'm not sworn in yet. And because of COVID, uh, it's made it difficult to even get to that point. Uh, and when I was in the Victorian Parliament, I was in, in the lower house, in the Assembly. So uh, I hear the same things as you. And I'm sure it is a bit crazy. Um, you only have to look at some of the characters in there to know that. And, yeah, look, I think that entering into politics is a bit crazy, but um, it's something that we need to encourage more grassroots people and and people who've got lived experience we need you know more people of color we need more women um so yes it is a bit crazy but um we're all a bit crazy in in some little way i'm sure Mm. uh did you always when you started to enter politics did you know you wanted to go into the greens party for instance right now i'm trying to work out which party I align with, but just can't seem to work it out. Yeah. Um, well, I wasn't kind of thinking about entering politics at all. Um, but I had been approached by Labor and I went to dinner with Labor. I had coffee with Labor. And the more I learnt about what they stood for, um, I it, it, it just didn't sit well with me uh, in terms of some of the decisions they've made, um, destruction of country, um, you know, extending the NT intervention uh, and the number um, And then I met someone from the Greens who invited me to, you know, come to some meetings as an observer, learn more about what they stand for. And I just thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. They're all the things that I care about. Um, And I didn't sign up straight away. I I thought, no, I'll I'll just stick as an observer and um, and then, yeah, decided, no, it's definitely for me. Good people, very progressive thinking, um and you know very good on climate very good on the environment very good on refugees um and very very good on uh the economy in fact which a lot of you know people out there don't realize so um yeah that that wasn't a, a hard decision for me i mean it was a hard decision to just join a political party um, but to choose which one just wasn't a hard decision. Hmm. Uh, how can non-Indigenous people be better allies? Uh, turn up, pay the rent. Um, and when I say turn up, it's, you know, I mean, COVID obviously is, is quite restrictive at the moment. 
So, but it's, you know, petitions, it's the rallies, it's putting pressure on the government uh, on whatever we're campaigning on uh, and, and paying the rent, which ultimately will enable black campaigners to continue the fight that we're fighting. Mm. Could you please just like kind of explain the pay the rent movement or campaign for everyone listening? Sure. So pay the rent campaign came about by um, elders in the late uh, sorry late sixties, early seventies, and that was based around self determination and creating. Um, uh, in a way that you know you weren't reliant on government or um, outside kind of influences and, and agendas. So pay the rent was about independence and about um, having a political voice through through health at that time. So that was when Aboriginal health services were being set up. And we didn't have a political voice. So it's about um, economic independence to self-determine our own destiny. And in the case of the pay the rent here, it is, um, you know, it's not about welfare. It's not about, um, it's not a donation and it's not reparations. It's about uh, paying the rent because if you're not a First Nations person, then you are benefiting from being on stolen land and you are benefiting from the stolen wealth. And so paying the rent is like paying the landlord, the owners of the land, to do whatever they want with it. Um, And, you know, there there are rules around that in terms of whatever they want with it. It's it's got to be... um, It's got to be be fighting the genocide that continues against our people. So whatever that looks like, it can be rallies, um, it can be putting dollars towards, um, you know, people who are experiencing deaths in custody to help them through um, their court case or whatever they're experiencing at the time. There's also a funeral fund um, for those that, you know, are um, struggling to, to pay for burials. So there's a few kind of there's there's areas in which pay the rent funds um are being distributed through Mm. how can i kind of let politicians know kind of influence politicians in changing the narrative of aboriginal deaths in custody because i've emailed and called a lot of politicians and they all kind of say the same narrative of oh thank you so much for writing to me it's so great that young people are getting involved in politics and this is so bad and that's just kind of it (laughs) yeah we've been hearing that pretty much since the royal commission um and that's yeah that's nearly 30 years now so they need to implement the remainder of the recommendations into that Royal Commission. The, the recommendations that they have not implemented are the recommendations that will keep Aboriginal people out of the prison system. They're the ones that you've actually got to work a bit harder at and you've got to roll your sleeves up and, you know, get, get some real work done. Um, the recommendations that they have implemented are, are the 
know, really easy ones. So, um, yeah, I think give them the solution uh, of you have to rec- you have to implement the rest of, of those recommendations if we really want to reduce the number of Aboriginal people dying in custody. Hmm. I think they struggle with the solution uh, and, you know, there's there's so much racism going on out there that the politicians react to that as well and they use that. So uh, I think just applying the pressure about doing the right thing, there was so much money spent on that Royal Commission. Um, you know, there's no answers as to where that money is gone and um, it's, it's, it's not too hard for them to implement a major of those recommendations. Mm, definitely. And do you think def- defunding or and or abolishing the police could help stop Aboriginal deaths in custody and the high incarceration rates of Aborig- Aboriginal people? Uh, I think justice reinvestment is, is what we need to be doing, and that is we need to not be putting the billions of dollars that are going into the prison system and and building new prisons and getting private um, companies to run these prisons, I think we need to be using that money to address the reasons why Aboriginal people are coming in contact with the justice system. And they're they're things like a home, a job, um, you know, mental health, access to, to... proper mental health services um, and just dealing with the poverty that so many Aboriginal people in this country experience every day. So there are things that um, we can do that cost money. Um, We just need to reinvest it, take it away from the justice system and put it into preventative measures that actually achieve good outcomes. Mm, Definitely. what would be your advice for young activists that would like to get into politics, but feel as though, like, I feel it's so, like, overwhelming, like, there's so many different parts of it, and, like, oh, there's so many people, like, how do you know you're good enough, like? Um, I would say have a look at the parliament and have a look of the characters it's made up of. Um, that is, um, telling in itself um, that, you know, anyone can get into Parliament. Anyone can get into Parliament. You just have I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm going in there. Um, but then you look at the other characters and you think, wow, you know, how could someone get into a place like that when they can be so racist or, you know, so sexist? Um, but they do. And I think that, uh, yeah, watch question time, watch the process, but don't be overwhelmed by it because they're all just people at the end of the day and that they are actually no better than anybody else. And for me going in uh, to that place, but also being a former politician, you know, I never saw myself better than anybody else. And I think that if we have more people that go into these places that have the same attitude, then we'll probably get a whole lot more done. Um, so, 
yeah, I, I just think it's, you know, it's a job. Yes, people have to um, have faith in you and, and um, vote you in. Um, but as long as you've got integrity and you've got respect uh, and, you know, you're there for the right reasons, then I honestly believe any, anyone can do this. Um, have good people around you and um, go for it. Hmm. Uh, final question. Do you believe that there is a future where Aboriginal people are given the justice they deserve and people can finally acknowledge our racist history and still our racist country and be able to move past that and essentially not like live in peace, but acknowledge that this is Aboriginal land and be able to, yeah. Um, I have to be hopeful of that. Um, you know, for 47 years as an Aboriginal woman, it's, it's been very tough watching what happens to our people in this country. And I just hope that my children and my grandchildren don't have to go through that. I mean, my, you know, my oldest boy is, is seeing that and he's experienced that, but um, I'm hoping that my grandchildren particularly don't have to go through the same struggle. So I have to live in hope. I think that um, where people are becoming more aware of the situation and are quite ashamed of it, in fact. So I think the movement is growing and... As long as it keeps growing, then absolutely we will see change. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was amazing. This was actually my big 10th episode and you've been the biggest guest so far. So it's pretty exciting. Oh, wow. (laughs) The big 10. Good on you. What what year are you in, Theo? I'm in grade nine. I'm 14. Okay. 14. So you're my, my age when I left school. Yes. Don't leave school as much as you can. I say I say now to um, my youngest daughter, who's twelve. She just started year seven because um, she, you know, you know, doesn't really like English and things mm. like that. I said, no, you've got to learn as much as their education can, so we can use it against them. <laughs> well, so thank you. Mm. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was great. Thank you. My pleasure. Good luck. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. 10 episodes crazy. That was such a good um, episode. Loved that. Uh, sorry if the audio, I know the audio faltered a couple of times. It's just cause I was doing it on my phone cause I had to record on my computer. Wait, that doesn't matter. Long story short, we can't do it in real life. That's life. But I hope this really helps. I think this really helped me in navigating my, like how I not connect with Aboriginal people, but essentially like acknowledge Aboriginal land and like the history of them. And like, I'm gotten I'm want to get really involved in like the pay the rent campaign in terms of helping out with that not like helping out but, like donate not donating but <laughs> you'll get what I mean uh yeah I think this was a really great episode I had a really great time 
Uh, thank you so much for everyone that listened. And yeah, 10 episodes. Wild. <laughs>